Disclaimer, this podcast is not to be a substitute for individual therapy. If you need assistance, call 911 if you're in the U.S. or any emergency phone number. If you need help, if you feel depressed, anxious, reach out to someone. This podcast is for educational or entertainment purposes only. Thank you. social workers, mental health professionals, and change agents. Welcome to another episode of the Social Work Rants Podcast. I'm your host, Bass Moreno. Hope everybody's doing well. Saludos a todos, uh, wherever and however you're listening to the podcast. Uh, Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on YouTube. Type in the Social Work Rants Podcast, as you see by my my sweatshirt, which we'll get to it. Uh, Just type it in, Social Work Rants Podcast. Hit the subscribe button. Uh, you can follow the podcast on Instagram uh, at the Social Work Rants Podcast. That's all one word. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Social Work Rants. Uh, follow the podcast on Facebook. Type in the Social Work Rants Podcast. Hit the like button. Uh, get and also the merch is on sale. Uh, sweatshirts got the hoodies. Go to Bass B A S M R msw dot creator at teespring at, at spring.com so b a s m r m s w dot creator slash spring.com for your all your merchandise podcast merchandise uh, this episode of the podcast is uh sponsored by bass city entertainment your home for virtual all your self-care virtual needs with a book starting with a book coming out by yours truly triumph through pain coming out soon and starting sometime in beginning of 2022 virtual online zumba classes so be on the lookout uh for that so uh, it's, the zumba has been a long time coming <laughs> uh my guess is uh uh, actually ran a, uh, a strong campaign in my second my second favorite borough of New York City, Queens. Uh, ran for city council, a tight, tight race for anybody that follows local pol- politics. Um, uh, as a New York native, uh, I'm going to be very biased and New York makes the world go around and we just elected a, New York uh, elected a new mayor uh, it's going to be starting in January, uh, and then 2022 is going to be a new governor. So, New York things are are happening. So, if it happens in New York, it's uh, definitely affects 
uh, the nation as a whole, one, one way or, or another. So, uh, and my wonderful guest actually ran for city council in Queens. It's also a social worker. So, we'll be talking about how social workers can get uh, into the uh, political space. You no know, social work is political. Um, and I've seen a lot of stuff from people that disagree with that, especially those in law enforcement and other things like that, but it is political. We need to make our voices heard and advocate for ourselves because we have uh, people in higher, higher levels who uh, don't advocate enough for us social workers, so we have to advocate for ourselves. So in great pleasure to finally meet you face to face uh through pleasure. through zoom <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let everybody know who you are and what you do in our field and we could get into uh your campaign that you recently ran awesome well thank you basilio so much or baz um for this opportunity i am so thrilled excited to be speaking to a fellow social worker about things that really matter, right? In not only locally, but also throughout the country. So yes. I'm excited to talk more about how social workers can get involved and become change agents at a higher level, right? Policy level um, and in elected office. So um, thank you as well. Happy Thanksgiving. Yes, happy Thanksgiving. Yes, thank you for creating the space for, for all of us to, to talk about what we do, what we love to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's my my pleasure. Is my 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 duty is in the code of ethics uh, somewhere in there, but uh, <laughs> about you know, you know duty to serve and you know, you know being you know moving it forward one way or, or another. And finally, using my my bachelor's of arts degree, I was a communications major, awesome. so okay, <laughs> finally it took like twenty years, but I finally got doing Isn't something. That amazing! <laughs> how we finally, are able to meld the two together, and and how it's just awesome. So yeah, again, congratulations for this podcast. Thank thank you. Actually, it's gonna be crazy. Two years in January. Wow. Have time. Wow. Time, okay. time flies. I'm sure it does. It in sure a pandemic. <laughs> I know. I Which know. we're still we in. We still in. We sure are. Yeah. <laughs> so um, my name is Ingrid Gomez and I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I am originally from Colombia. I was born in Colombia. I came to the United States when I was seven years old uh, with my mom and my two brothers. Uh, we landed in the Bronx. We landed in the South Bronx, and that's right. <laughs> um, and uh, I was raised there um, up until, you know, I, I, I went to high school in Manhattan, um, and then I went away to college um, in Massachusetts. So I was in Massachusetts for four years, traveled the world a little bit, um, lived in Japan for some time. I taught English there, and then I decided to come back home. I missed home a lot. Um, and so I wanted to work with our communities. And so I worked for this program called Upward Bound um, and Talent Search. And Talent Search was helping youth who are first generation students going to college. And so I helped them, you know, prepare for college with their um, essays and their FAFSAs and just getting them prepared um, by taking them to universities and colleges that they were interested in seeing. 
Um, after that, I realized I need more education in order to continue to grow. And so I went um, for my master's degree at, you know, at Hunter College School of Social Work. It's now called Silberman, Silberman right. School of Social Work. Yeah. Um, and um, I, I was a casework major there and group work minor. And then during my time um, at uh, Hunter, I had the opportunity to um, do an internship at the Ackerman Institute for the Family. And um, I did my internship there and I continued to do my training in family and couples therapy um, okay. for, for five years. It was in total five years. Um, I did a little bit of everything. I um, worked at an agency for, um, for families, kids, immigrant families um, called University Settlement. And then um, I worked out in Brooklyn at another agency, the Coalition for Hispanic Family Services. Um, and then I had the opportunity to supervise um, social workers after I finished my, my training at Ackerman. And so I worked at Ro the Roberto Clemente Family Center, and that's in the Lower East Side. So okay. um, I had the opportunity to work there for several years. Um, I did a couple of other things in between, <laughs> and then I landed where I don't, am. Don't, don't, don't we all? We always keep doing <laughs> something in between. <laughs> That's right. You know, I don't want to get into it. No, just kidding. No, <laughs> I'm happy to get into it. But, um, you know, just to kind of get to, to where we are today, um, I, I moved actually when um, about 15 years ago, I moved from the Bronx to Queens. And um, here, you know, I wanted to have uh, the experience of living around Colombianos, <laughs> around the, you know, around Colombian food and, you know, people from everywhere living. Yes. We've got people from Ecuador and Mexico and all over the globe. I think there's about a hundred. Guyanese. Guyanese, exactly. Dominican, everything. Yes, the melting pot. New York is the melting pot, but Queens is like the, the melting pot of the melting pot. Is That's right. Yes, yes. And I think there's about 170 different um, nationalities, I believe. Um, so there's so, so much here. And um, I decided to stick around and I really um, started to develop my roots here um, in terms of like working with the community. So I started working with the Child Center of New York and there I work with um, three to five year olds in their early childhood program, early childhood mental health. Um, and so I'm working um, here in Corona where I've been living for, for the last 15 years. Um, and around 2015, I, um, I started helping my brother out. Um, he ran for city council out in the Bronx um, by the Frog's Neck area, um, that area, um, Country Club, Frog's Neck. Um, the nice part of the Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, it is interesting because his district also, ha you know, has like very different kinds of, you know, middle class mm -hmm. and like, you know, so it's a very diverse district. It's not just like the wealthy people. Yeah. Um, so I helped him out and, um, and I really started to think, you know, why not run for office here? You know, why not serve? And so I started looking into ways I could serve in, in the community. And I found out about the community board. Um, I applied to the community board. And for folks who don't know the community board there, 
basically um, a group of about 50 or so community members that meet um, once a month. And then there's also different committees. Um, like I, I served as the chairperson of the youth services committee. So um, there's also um, zoning, there's also um, consumer affairs. I mean, so many different kinds of committees. And so um, this group, again, they, they are community members. They could be community leaders. They could be, you know, teachers, anyone. Yeah, anybody in the community. Groups in the community. Um, and, um, and so I was lucky to be accepted. Um, and of course, like I mentioned, I served as the chair of the Youth Services Committee. So um, I got to work on really, really cool projects. You know, I, I worked um, really putting together this uh, youth services affair um, and basically all of the resources that kids need, whether it be mental health care, health services, um, connecting them to cultural institutions um, and, and more. And so we, we did several youth uh, fairs during the time I served. We connected with the public schools um, and helped out, help connect them to the community board. Um, so, so yeah, and then after that, um, I continued my, my service in the community uh, for some time. I also, um, I co-founded a democratic club, a reform democratic club um, with progressives in the area. And this club came out of a, the, the campaign, well, I, I should go back. The club was made up of people who had volunteered for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's campaign. Okay. She's, she's the representative here where I live. And so we, we ended up supporting um, that <clears throat> campaign. And then after, the, after she won, that historic race, um, we got together and started to work on issues, uh, electoral issues that were of importance in, in addition to supporting um, candidates for office. Okay. And so, yeah, there's just, there's so much and I'm happy to get into, you know, how I ended up running for office, but I'll take a beat. <laughs> I'll take a <laughs> breath now. And then, you know, if you have any, you know. Not that, but, but it's important, like, you know, these uh, grassroots things that it starts, you're wondering why are they like uh, putting like a Starbucks on the corner? Why are That's they right. putting like bike lanes or exactly. in, the, in New York, they have all, all these like, now city bikes from like from Citibank that exactly. people are using like the taking up space on the sidewalks and putting bike lanes, which is you know great for people to get exercise, get around. Or, uh, exactly. New York New York's becoming so like anti car <laughs> more <laughs> more than usual now. So there's these wow. little things. Why why is this happening? Why they're building this building? And and, mm -hmm. and it's important to go go to community board meetings. Like mm -hmm. I, I think I work at a residence. Um, uh, for like a nonprofit agency, uh, a mental health agency, and like I'm part of my job was to go to the community board meetings. And like I lived in the same area where the residence is, and like I never even thought about going to the community board meeting. Like, what is that? Like, what, what does that entail? And then I went. I'm like, oh, this is why I think things are happening, and I just wish that it gets like notarized more. Like, it's like publicize more so that people exactly. like can actually go and like and advocate for like I, we need this in the community even something simple as like you know, we need a bakery like or or like any like type of business or 
or mm-hmm. anything like we need a, a stop sign or we, we need like stop lights in because the cars are going too fast in, in the residential exactly. residential uh, area so it's little things like that and which is you know important it, it starts at a local level where before you know the national is going to be national and I think people like woke up uh, in 2020, realize whatever the government is going to do, the government is going to do, but it doesn't always have to like affect my day in and day out life. And it really, a lot of times it really doesn't. So, um, but at the same time, you no know, politics, uh, you know, it is important you know, people make these laws and people change laws or, or go, <laughs> or we had, we just had a president that just, made up his own his own rules as as he went whether it be illegal illegal whatever he just uh had uh the commander-in-chief to just did whatever he wanted to do <laughs> so <laughs> yeah no i appreciate you going further into what community boards do um and thank you for that explanation um Yes, you're absolutely right. I think these things are important, you know. And, and it might vary state state to state because I have oh, no idea. True. I know there's got to be there's some board here where where I'm at. I'm just not. I'm just st- still getting acclimated. Uh, almost well, a year later, and still getting acclimated to my area. I know the mayor has been the mayor in my town for like 30 years already. He just got elected, uh, I think like last year. Or so, uh, so I see like. <laughs> How like that's, wow, that's a, that's a lot of years. Yes. Um, so, so yes, you know, I, I just wanted to add that those things are so important. Like the, the issues that impact people day to day are the local issues, right? You know, transportation, like are the buses getting here on time? And do we have, you know, enough schools in the area? Like do we have a, a growing population of immigrants families in in my area and so school um, schools are overcrowded right class size is large and so we're we're talking about issues that again have a day-to-day impact Um, and so I got sort of a a taste of that local local government right by participating in the community board and seeing how the processes run you know it's an advisory board here in New York so we can't really pass any you know any laws it's what the the let's say the legislators take into consideration whatever recommendations we make um so again like you mentioned beautifully yes you know bike lanes or we need a stop sign or you know one of those bumpers to slow down people and um and these are all very important local local things that really do impact you you know every day so so yes Yes, so let's let's get right into the campaign. You know, you ran for city council in in your your area of Queens, and uh, for for those uh, viewers or listeners out of state and out of the country, like what if you break down what what exactly was the process and what exactly does our, the New York City City Council does and and just a step by step education. What, what is the role of the city council what, and what made you run, run for office? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the city council is made up of 51 council members um, that represent different areas of New York City. So the five boroughs, 
Um, and my in my area, this uh, my district is uh, Jackson Heights, Corona, East Elmhurst, Elmhurst, um, and um, yeah, and Lefrak City. Um, so these city council members they meet and they pretty much decide how to spend a budget of over $80 billion, you know, yearly. And they decide how much money goes to public schools and hospitals, um, how much goes to the, the, the streets and the parks, you know, all of these really important things. Um, so they also legislate, you know, whatever laws impact again, us on a, on a local and, and citywide level. Um, we, we have a law that is about to, I believe it will be um, passed and it's to enfranchise about 800,000 uh, non-citizens to vote. Now, when I mean non-citizens, I mean those who hold re legal permanent residency. And we have about 800,000 of those, those people who qualify. And so they are, they have a right to really um, make their voice heard, right? Ask, not only just ask the city council for what they feel we need, but really mm -hmm. elect those local representatives that really align with what they want. So, um, you know, there's just, there's so much that the city council can have an effect over. Um, zoning, you know, whether there is, there are developments in, let's say, um, the um, Washington Heights area, there was a huge rezoning there. Um, there was a development that they were trying to bring to my area, a 13 flight um, condominium that would price out, you know, my neighbors and the local businesses because the people would, who would come to live in those, in those apartments would be people who don't look like our immigrant families mm -hmm. have money. Um, and so this was gonna impact our, our neighborhood greatly, you know. Um, and when I was on the board, I actually voted against this, um, this development coming up. So anyway, just those things are, it's just a sample of what the um, city council does. Okay. Owning to consumer affairs to you know building schools and roads and parks and all of that. All right. So um, so tell me, tell me about the, uh, the your campaign that that you ran. Actually, um, uh, the small world that we live in. One of my um, you know, we talked offline. One of my ex uh, coworkers actually ran against you. <laughs> in the race and uh i guess we really who is this uh george oh george amira yes 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 that's right this is my, my buddy the chief <laughs> i call him the world is tiny it's so small yeah. wow okay yes so um you know so talking about the ins and outs of, of the race uh, um and just to get like some background like i've never actually spoken to anybody who actually like try to run for for a race before so mm -hmm. uh, i met politicians before but they're already in office but just right. ins and outs of running yeah. a race being a social worker like like mm -hmm. what, what did that entail for you sure yeah so i um started to explore you know running for office around 2018 um 
after AOC won her race. Um, and I really decided to put everything in gear in 2019 and um, began to assemble <clears throat> what's called a kitchen cabinet, which are your closest advisors, you know, people who have either experience in certain areas, whether it be communications or uh, finance, you know, because you need to raise money for a campaign, you need to also be able to um, have clear messaging, you need to have digital um, expertise, right, to build websites and create graphics and, um, and also gather data, right. So there is, there are so many moving pieces um, in terms of running a campaign. Um, and so when I started to gather my people, um, it was because they had expertise in, in different areas and could, we could come together and really um, build a strong campaign and be competitive. And so in um, 2020, um, I, about February 2020, um, I opened up my committee um, to begin to fundraise. And opening up a committee, you have to file paperwork, et cetera, mm. with, um, with the city. And, um, and then COVID hit, then COVID hit. And so it changed our world, right, completely. Um, and I had just started to fundraise. So I was making phone calls, you know, uh, a lot of the work of a, of a candidate is either to do this, to talk to media, to have, you know, be a present at different community events and all, but also to raise money. So right. I was already on the phones, um, fundraising, and then, and then when COVID hit, um, I stopped. I stopped fundraising because, you know, I live in a district that was beaten up, really ravaged by COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I didn't feel that it was appropriate for me to continue to fundraise. And instead, I started to um, help our neighbors by co-founding Corona Mutual Aid. And that organization came out of Queens Mutual Aid. Um, and so we were able to purchase uh, groceries and personal care items for families here in Corona who um, perhaps they they had lost their jobs, mm -hmm. sick, and they were afraid to leave their homes, you know. Um, and so that's where my effort, you know, went to. Instead of fundraising, I went to do mutual aid work, um, and I would, you know, deliver food. And it was it was really important work. Um, I wasn't the only one to do this. Obviously, there were a mm -hmm. lot of other volunteers who helped out, um, but it was a really it was really a difficult time, you know, for, for all of us in New York, yes. but, but I would say because my district was at the epicenter of the epicenter, mm -hmm. um, we got hit the hardest and our hospital, which is the local hospitals, Elmhurst hospital. And yes, for a I, lot, know, I know Elmhurst. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we, we really faced a shortage in, in hospital beds. I mean, everything was about to collapse, but um, thankfully, you know, we were able to, to make it through. Um, I mean, we still have to, you know, deal with COVID cases and, you know, that's, that's not gone away yet. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, so, you know, I decided that that at that time, that mutual aid was going to be where I did my work. And then I officially announced my candidacy for uh, city council in October 
of 2020, October 22nd, so a day after my birthday. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to take advantage of my birthday to fundraise and all of that. So you always have to take advantage of different important times. Right, right absolutely. But it's smart though, you know, have a birthday party, like, hey, I'm do a fundraiser for your birthday. You know, people do that exactly. on, on, on Facebook all the time, like do a cause, yeah. like, so it, it makes right. perfect sense. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and just some context uh, of the uh, the damage that was done in Jackson Heights. Uh, yeah. I, I got I got special love for Jackson Heights, and my my beautiful fiance is from Jackson Heights. Um, I used to work in Jackson Heights uh, for a few years in, in social in social work, so I, I know I know that whole area you know pretty pretty well. It's very you know diverse with uh, mm -hmm. Colombians, Ecuadorians, uh, Mexicans. Uh, you know, between Jackson Heights, Corona is like literally right next to right next to each other. Yes. Uh, along, along the the, the seven train. Uh, oh, so, seven. Yes. <laughs> so um, probably one of the most overcrowded trains, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, and just always going to uh, Queens Hospital to visit clients in the hospital or, or their their psych ward. I have clients, uh, mentally mentally ill clients who stop taking medicine or whatever reason end up being in the hospital. So I was always in Elmer's Hospital, and when the pandemic hit. Uh, literally, I could like my fiance's home uh, was literally, you could literally walk to the hospital and just seeing on the news um, just uh, the big uh, freezer trucks that they were using just because so many people passed away that they needed and the hospital was overwhelmed. So they needed to bring these big trailer trucks that were basically like uh mobile refrigerators just to store the um the people who passed away in those so to 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 see that on the news and it's only like literally like a a 10 15 minute 20 maybe 20 minute walk from where i was staying at my fiance is kind of like humbling and uh, is uh you know vicarious trauma that you know just living uh you know in real time and on top of everything else with work and clients passing away at, at the job and you know, it was it's just a lot and you know, when I went back there to, you know recently it's definitely coming along it's coming back uh, for a while uh, Jackson Heights was you know in the news because people were not obeying like the curfews and people out in the street and so it was just uh, a, a lot of the vibrance just people wanted to be extra like um, we outside <laughs> and it's just uh it was and, really hard yeah yeah you know the restaurants is a lot of restaurants you want to eat something some good spanish food definitely northern boulevard <laughs> uh, uh, up and down from like everywhere 90, 90, everywhere 90, yeah yes it. anywhere but that's just like a lot of restaurants that were impacted in the area and, and just you know all over and just that specific section the way where you ran the you know definitely got hit and I want people to like, really like understand like the impact that's really happened like I you know I saw it my, myself and like still like you no know, every once in the blue you know go back to the area like I'll go to Queens before and the the Bronx and Queens if I go back to New York those are the only two boroughs I, I really uh, mess with so uh, yeah no I, I hear you <laughs> Uh, so um, going back to that point that you made about 
um, just the devastation, right? The yeah. incredible loss of life. Um, a lot of those were my neighbors, right? Mm -hmm. the, the families I serve here in Corona. Um, and it was, it was tragic. Um, and the reason I feel that the hospital was so overwhelmed and the medical system was about to collapse is because of politics, actually. It's because in about 2011 or so, um, Andrew Cuomo, our former governor, he basically um, made huge cuts to Medicaid and how this impact, this impacted the local hospitals. So we had two other hospitals in Queens that were shut down during the, um, the reign of Andrew Cuomo. Um, and this was completely the reason why we have fewer hospital beds than in Manhattan. Manhattan, you know, like this borough is larger, I believe, in population. We have like 2.2 million people. I think, I don't know the exact number for, for Manhattan, but it's less. And yet we have fewer hospital beds. And again, this can be attributed to the cuts that the governor made. So local- This was, this was Saint, the St. John's? This was, um, there was a hospital uh, right by Queens Boulevard. I think it was St. Anne's. There was one in Sweden. Yeah, St. John, St. Anne's, something, something like yeah. that. Yeah, it was yeah. Queens, Queens Boulevard. You remember that one? That was yes. really, it was across the street from the mall. Like Saint, Saint, yes, like St. Yeah. John, St. Anne's, something, something like that. But it was one of the right. hospitals. Right, yeah. And I, I know there was another hospital in Jamaica, yeah. Jamaica exactly. was, yeah. was closed down to, I think it was like two right. hospitals. There was one smaller one and there was like a bigger one that closed down. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And so you see how, you know, nine years later. See, this is all my friends that like, like Cuomo. See, this is why I don't like him. See? <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so he, he, he did a lot of damage. And then you know, the, the ironic part of all this is that he then took credit for being the, you know, the czar of, of you know, the COVID czar, and, you know, and he wrote a book about how great he was in handling this, this pandemic, yet he was at fault mm -hmm. because he made so many cuts, you know, almost 10 years ago. And why my area was the most, you know, the ones that suffered most, you know, so anyway, so everything is political. Mm. Now, social work is political. You know, the advocacy that we, we do um, on behalf of, of our communities, that's all political. And we have to really, as social workers, continue to, to really push for better services for our clients, better budgets, you know, for, our, for basically everything from child care to how we, we, we fund a lot of CBOs, right? Money for CBOs that end up doing a lot of good work um, for, for families, especially vulnerable families, like the ones we serve. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so, um, but thank you for mentioning that. It was a very dark moment in, in, our, in our borough, um, in our city, and we, again, can see the connections of how failed policies affect communities of color like mine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just to get some background, I mean, the, the hospitals, you know, I'm most familiar, obviously, is, is Elmer's is probably the most, probably like the most closest one. There's also, um, now is uh, Mount Sinai in uh, mm -hmm. Astoria. That's right. Um, mm -hmm. Those are private, yeah. 
there's a, right, right. You no, know, we got no Jamaica Hospital. There's you got to go all the way further north, almost like heading Long Island. There's the Sucker Hillside. Mm -hmm. There was like another hospital. I forget the name of the hospital. The hospital that was in Jamaica. Like I, I was working there, like before, like 2007, 2005. Around there, there was a hospital that and eventually that one that got closed down in, in Jamaica I forget the name I think it's like Lily something I think it started at L or I interface like I don't know but some some hospital in Jamaica that that mm -hmm. closed down so and then like the the one that you mentioned in, in Queens Boulevard I, just like now I think they finally this recently did something to that space like you could have just somebody could have bought it out or Mount Sinai could have like monopolized it and just used that building as another hospital but mm -hmm. It, it, but the impact is just your just your area has been impacted mm -hmm. by mental health for oh, a, long, yeah. a long time because um, right. even uh, there was a, a outpatient mental health clinic that I worked at uh, the organization decided to close the clinic um, I guess for like budget reasons or whatever so and then prior to that there was another outpatient mental health agency that the clinic it was on 74th and 37th avenue was on uh the clinic got was on fire so they so all these clients like mm -hmm. got impacted all pretty much at the same time and then like another agency that i worked at was taking taking in all these clients so you have all these between the hospital closure and then two outpatient clinics all in the same area being you know, closed down for different reasons and they people need service and there's and not being enough resources available for all these families. That's so true. And I think in terms of mental health services, there is such a high need for it, um, especially during COVID and post-COVID, right? Whenever we get out of this, because there are a lot of families um, who are individuals, right? Who suffered depression, anxiety. Um, you had uh, a rise in domestic violence, you know? Mm -hmm. There was so many, so many problems, and then our youth, you know, our preteens and teens. Um, there was a higher rate in suicidality, um, mm -hmm. suicidal ideation, and really serious concerns because, again, you know, for kids, they were isolated, they were not with their, you know, social milieu, and they couldn't hang out, you know. And it's so important for kids, right, especially preteens and teens, to be with their peers. Yes. And so, because of the isolation um, that we were forced to to be in um, due to the pandemic, we saw a lot of kids just really get depressed. Um, and so, you know, there there's such need, you know, and prior to COVID as well, mm -hmm. right? Um, so here in this community, we have a lot of incidents of of uh, domestic violence, you know, um, just that in itself, it, it creates such problems for young children. Mm -hmm. I work with three to five-year-olds and you see how um, that's traumatic, right? That's trauma, a lot of trauma, trauma, uh, migration trauma, you know, yes. how families got here, um, the tr atrocities they had to experience or, you know, see. Um, and then, you know, just the trauma of poverty, right? Like you see how um, families here have to struggle so much to just pay rent. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about a one bedroom apartment could be upwards of $1,800. 
you know, um, a two bedroom could be 2,400. I mean, it's just ridiculous, right? Yeah, so a lot absolutely. of families have to live together. And therefore you saw the rise in COVID, right? Mm -hmm. Because our families are made up of workers who are delivery workers, deliveristas. We've got cooks, we've got domestic workers. Mm -hmm. um, pretty much everyone who helps this, you know, this city run. And when they're living in apartments with other families, <clears throat> they couldn't, they couldn't um, socially distance right. away. And so that's why you saw the COVID rates so high and people got sick. And, you know, we lost here, we lost over like about 500 people wow. um, in my community and, um, and thousands got sick. And so, yeah, this, this was certainly all tied together, right? Um, that's why I called poverty something that's traumatic. So. Yeah, of course. Um, so when did, when did the race took place? Like, where, where were you? Like, how, do you, how did you find out you know, the, the results? And, uh, okay, yeah, so, so I, was, um, I was telling you a little bit about um, how, the, how the campaign ran and um, uh, after we launched, then we continued to do fundraisers and we had to meet a certain um, threshold for the city campaign finance board to match our fundraising dollars eight times. So for example, if you gave me a donation of $10, they would multiply it by eight. So um, it would, I would have your $10 plus $80 from the campaign finance board, that would be $90. So that's how a lot of us, you know, who are not politically connected, who are not self-funded because we are not wealthy, um, we don't have daddy's money, you know, trust yeah. fund. So we had to find a way, right, to, to support these campaigns. And so the New York City campaign finance board has been around, I believe, since, I believe it was since the early 90s or mid 90s. And uh, I maybe I'll, I'll come back to you with the right thing. Um, they've been around for a while. They've been around for a while. <laughs> and, and they help, you know, candidates who want to run for office. Um, and so that's how I was able to run. Um, so we got about $155,000, you know, with $30,000 that we raised you know, multiplied by eight, um, that all turned out to be about 150, 160 something. <laughs> My math is totally bad. <laughs> but anyway, um, they ain't teach us math, math in the MSW program. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> they did not. Yes. So, you know, all, all of this to say that, you know, this is a, a pretty big operation, right? You have to fundraise, you have to um, really strategize and planned events and really put your face out there. So you had a, you have to have a lot of interviews. Um, we, we spoke to Spanish language media um, because again, my neighborhood, my area is 70% Latino mm -hmm. and you know, 60% foreign born. So, you know, we've got a lot of Spanish native speakers. Um, and so we made connections with different community groups. Um, we were featured in many articles. Um, we were in New York One and um, I was interviewed by them. Um, so 
this is all part of, of the work of being a candidate. Mm -hmm. um, we were in a debate with, um, with my opponent, um, the incumbent, and um, we had opportunities to, to really talk about our message, you know, share our message about the kind of neighborhood we deserve. Um, which I feel we still need a lot more resources. And that's the reason why I ran, because I felt that the incumbent wasn't doing a good enough job of mm -hmm. providing the resources we need here. You know, we need more schools, we need more parks, we need to have healthy foods for our communities. We didn't have food, right, during the pandemic. Right. Um, and so all of these things matter. This is a community that needs is needs a lot. Mm. Um, and again, I didn't feel that with the incumbent's record that he had done enough. And so um, we ran against him, we, we fought hard, um, we fought for every vote that we received. Um, but sadly, we came up short. And, um, and so we, we didn't win. But what we did do, I feel is we pushed the incumbent to do his job. We pushed him really to make sure he does what he's supposed to do, right? Mm -hmm. Not neglect the community anymore. And so um, I'm proud of the work we did. I'm proud of the support we received. We, we received support from uh, incoming controller, Brad Lander. We got the, the blessing and the uh, support of NASW PACE, which okay. is um, basically the, the PAC, right? Uh, NASW's NYC's PAC, um, which supports uh, which supports not only social workers but those who are um, pretty much aligned with the values we the values have. Values of social work, right? exactly, and who will, when elected, be uh, responsible and accountable to our communities, right, uh, through their legislations, through their action. Right. So um, we got the backing of Women of Color for Progress, um, the Met Council on Housing, which is the oldest tenant um, housing association um, in, I think in New York. And so um, we, we did see a lot of support. Uh, we raised at one point more than the incumbent, um, which was a really great, um, I think success, you know? Um, so yeah, so again, I'm, I'm really proud of the work we did. I'm proud of our team. Um, our team was phenomenal. You have to have a pretty strong team in order to run a campaign. You know, um, it's so stressful. It was probably <laughs> one of the most stressful experiences, intense experiences I've ever had in my life. Um, but, you know, I, I'm glad we did it. No, I'm, I'm glad you did it as well. <laughs> you know, I'm proud of you for your no campaign for your advocacy for you know, a community that that holds you no know, very very dear you know, to to me you know, mm -hmm. especially like the last like five five years just uh mm -hmm. seeing how much has changed but remains the same and just stuff like just you know, working in the area and you know, hanging out in the area so um uh, i hope you know what what's next what's next for you Mm -hmm. So I am continuing to um, do work on the local level. I obviously continue to work here in uh, the Child Center of New York with, um, with our immigrant families um, and their young children. Um, I'm part of the community advisory board of Elmhurst Hospital. So we 
are also a pretty important conduit of information from the hospital to the to community and from the community to the hospital. We advise on, on things like um, how we can continue to build the hospital, expand it, because we need an expansion of, of Elmhurst Hospital. Yes. So um, there's many different things that we, as a board, advise. There are 20 of us. Um, and so I feel very honored to be a part of, of, the, of the CAB, especially because um, Elmhurst Hospital was the hardest hit hospital in, in the country. Um, and so I really feel that we deserve more, uh, more resources for that. So I want to continue to, to work um, as a board member. And in the new year, I can't really talk about it yet, but I will be, you know, um, stay tuned, stay tuned, <laughs> stay tuned, um, doing work in supporting more candidates for office. Okay. Um, and really, you know, I want to say, and I think this is really important, um, that social workers, they really should consider running for office. It makes a lot of sense. You know, we know we have a pulse of what's happening on the ground. We see it every single day in our work. And so we have the knowledge. We know, we know what the problems are and we know how to fix them. Right. So I, that's why I strongly believe that if you're a social worker and if you have interest in politics, please consider running for office. We need you. We don't have any city council members that are social workers yet, but we will one day. <laughs> I, am, I am going to push hard for that. There's NASW Pace who's also pushing hard for that. Um, and, I, and I think we, we need to be at the table. We need to be able to you know, be at the table to decide how much money goes to um, social services, right? Mm. Schools, um, hospitals, um, mm. and we know because we're, we're hospital social workers, we're clinical social workers, we work in, in, um, in child welfare. I mean, there's so much knowledge we have that please, I really encourage your, your viewers, if anyone has any interest in it, contact me. Um, I'm on Instagram at Gomez for Queens. I'm on Facebook at Ingrid Gomez for Queens. I'm on Twitter at Ingrid P. Gomez. Just reach out to me because I'm happy to help you. I'm happy to help you. This past um, cycle, we had five um, social workers who ran for office. We had awesome. Diane Morales, who was running for mayor, and she's all she's a social yes. worker. Um, we had Abigail Mar Martin, excuse me. She ran for city council in the Bronx. We had Trisha Shimamura, who ran for city council in Manhattan. We had Shaniqua Moore, who yes. ran for city council in the Bronx and then myself. So I would love to see 10, 15, 20 social workers run for office um, because we, we need to get there. We need to get there. Um, so that's my passion right now. That's where I wanna focus and really helping to develop the next generation of leaders, um, young people of color, women of color, social workers. So really that's what's next for me. Awesome. Um... What what are you seeing with the uh, other people in the neighborhood? Like what what are since you know, we I'm hoping we're way past you know epicenter levels of the pandemic. You no, know, we are you know, we're still in a pan pandemic until uh, World Health Organization says otherwise. <laughs> we are right. still in the pandemic. Right. Um. What 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 are you seeing with with the the people in Corona Jackson Heights? What what are 
you know, the actual immigrant families, what what are their biggest needs are? Um, you know, I'm struggling you know, down here you know, in Delaware to best ways to interact with them other than like a, a good morning when kids are being like dropped off in, in schools and stuff like that. And you know, they're scared down here to talk to people, they're intimidated. Obviously there's not enough black and brown folks down here in in like the school settings and things of that nature to even like really try to advocate for themselves or, or the kids. So um what what do you what are you seeing like what are what are their needs there that needs to be addressed? I think that here um as I mentioned before um we have a lot of overcrowded classrooms. Um, class sizes can be upwards of 30, um, mm -hmm. 30 students per class. So we need more schools. We need more schools um, because as I mentioned, you know, we have a large immigrant population with um, growing families and we, we definitely need to lower class sizes, right? Um, 30 people, 35 people to 35 children to a class is too much, you know? You get lost in the sauce, right, as a kid. Yes. And when you are coming to school with trauma, right, um, you can't learn. Mm. You know, children who have trauma are unable to actually take in the information, process it, and then be able to deliver whatever results they're expected to deliver as students. Right. Um, so, that for one is something that we need here at, in the local community, more schools. We need to really build, um, definitely building schools, but I was thinking too about how food insecurity is still a big problem here mm -hmm. because um, there's still people who are unemployed or partially employed. Mm -hmm. um, due to the pandemic, having lost their jobs during the pandemic. And so we need to find a source of, of you know, permanent, um, and there's so many ideas I have, permanent uh, food sources, mm -hmm. right? So we do, have, we do have pantries who supply food. Um, thankfully, we have this wonderful pantry called La Jornada, and they deliver about, about I would say, 3,000 meals a week. Um, okay. probably more, um, but during the pandemic, they were feeding 10,000 people a week. Wow. Um, and so, yes, that's a huge need still here in Corona, Jackson Heights, Elmhurst, East Elmhurst. And um, besides that, you know, affordable housing. You read my mind. I was going, I was, if you didn't say it, I was going to say it. <laughs> affordable housing. I like mean, real I, affordable housing. I, I would say to you, like, um, we, because we have such an overcrowded population and rents are so damn high, um, we need to build housing in areas like Willits Point. So I'm really close to Willits Point. Willits Point is an area that was pretty much called the Iron Triangle. A lot of um, auto workers, you know, have shops there. And it's an area that doesn't even have a sewage system. It's, it's really been now, um, it's empty now, but they're, they're doing uh, environmental remediation in order to then build affordable housing units there. There are about 1,100 affordable units that will be um, created in the next five years. And so 
Um, we need more of more than 1100. <laughs> we need probably three or four times that. Um, and to be given priority, like this district has to be given priority for, to those um, housing units. Um, hospital, we need another hospital. I would love if we could have a hospital at Willits Point, um, the Willits Point area. You know, there are about, I want to say, 23 acres of city owned land in Willits Point. And we have um, about 17 that we can use for another hospital, we can use for another school, we can use for another 1100 or, or more uh, units of housing. Um, and so we, we really need all of those things, right? Because again, you know, it's, it all is, is sort of um, intertwined, right? right? Jobs, schools, you know, and hospital services and all of that and housing. So yeah, so yeah, that's the stuff we need um, here in our community. And I'm gonna continue to push for that. Um, so I'm gonna continue to hold this uh, incumbent accountable. Um, so he does his job again for yeah. the community. Even, even reach out to um, the, the the second class baseball team that's in Willis Point uh, <laughs> to, help, to help out. Like, hey, like you're using the lands. Yeah, you, you built a, a, right. a brand new stadium is only 13, going to be 13 years old. And like, you know, just you're using the land you've been on the newspapers about fighting to try to take over the land that you just talked about to expand, you know, whatever you know, the team wanted. I'm talking about, you know, the Mets for my non-baseball fans, the New York Mets, you know, they are in the Willits Point section of Queens. Um, and right next door, you mentioned all the auto shops, the predominantly, uh, you know, workers from South America and Mexico work, worked there for many, many years. So it has been a huge controversial topic in the city of what to do with that land. They've been like, that's right. Pretty much uh, eminent domains being like removed from the area. Uh, so a lot of people lost like their jobs. So mm -hmm. like you mentioned the areas, pretty much, I didn't realize it was like completely vacant. I know there was like, well, there's still, there's, there's still, 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 there. there's still some, yeah. some order, but not as much as before. Like it was right. like, you, there was always, it was always busy in that, that area. Now it's not, as, not as much anymore. And like, you know, you, up, yeah. you upgraded the tennis center around there, and right across you know, the park. And it's like, okay, so you have all this land, like, why not put a, another hospital, put another school to actually build actual affordable housing you know, between the outgoing mayor and the other city officials have done a, you know, a terrible job in really addressing you know, the affordable housing situation in the city. Absolutely. Um, I think they never fully um, addressed the uh, properly the shelter system, right. especially, especially after Hurricane Sandy came, they really messed things up even more, I feel, um, and was never really, although the mayor tried to address it, but you know, not really appropriately and all these quote unquote affordable housing that, you know, many of our social workers with social work salaries could barely afford. So it's, uh, right. mm -hmm. it's just a lot going on. 
And uh, that's why city council you know, is important, even the you know, assembly members is important as well. So it's, it's these little races. Ah, the pre it's not president. I'm not. I'm not running. <laughs> or it's like exactly. it, it's not it's the not gov. Open. It's not the governor race. Okay, I'm not. I'm not going to vote. It's not the mayor. Nah, I'm not going to vote. But it's these little. It's these races that are important that what gets getting things done. So. Yeah, yeah. You know, Baz, I just want to go back to that point you made about the Willow Point area. Um, so, my opponent, which is the incumbent, um, I guess I can call him an opponent. So I don't know. <laughs> so, anyway. well, if you're gonna run again yeah <laughs> <laughs> the the incumbent wants to build a 25,000 seat stadium soccer stadium in the Williams area for the soccer team for the for the football football club um for for, for, for nyfc um no or to build a brand new team well a brand new stadium possibly for another team another team yeah, I, I don't know for sure, but this is was is one of the plans. Um, about, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About what to do with the 17 acres that are, are left over that are publicly owned. Um, we cannot have a stadium here. We no. need for affordable housing. Like, so we, we don't need a stadium. I, I'm, I'm a Yankee fan. We don't even need City Field there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be too loud. My wife, my fiance will hear me. <laughs> but no, I'm seriously, not, we don't we I'm don't need a twenty five. That one. <laughs> we, no, seriously, we don't need a twenty five thousand seat oh. stadium where we already have City Field. We already have the, the U.S. Open right, right across. They have a brand new, you know, or up, they upgraded the old stadium and they did built another one. The Arthur Ashe That's is funny. new, so we don't need any more stuff from in no, that, that area. No, it doesn't benefit the community in any way. And, and so we need to stop that as well. Um, and yeah, city council is- the just, just, play, just, play in city, just play in city field. They do the dimensions at Yankee Stadium for NYFC. Exactly. So they play soccer there. That's... Right, correct. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We don't need this huge stadium that will just take up land that can be otherwise used for more affordable housing, school, and a hospital. Or so, even build yeah. a, build some like you know SROs for like our mental health yeah, population right. that they need housing or build like a build big shelter like, and do like a whole shelter center or something that or like youth center we need youth centers yeah youth centers oh. like these kids need something to do exactly exactly yeah so you know Baz that's why local elections matter um, that's why it's important to go out and vote. And our people, nuestra gente, they're not voting. And that also really impacts their lives, their children's mm -hmm. lives, you know? Um, so again, I think that we need to do a lot of civic education with yes. our community and explaining to them, you know, what it is that city council does. What does assembly do? What does Senate do? What does, you know, a Congress member do and above? And, and I think civic education is what's missing in our schools. We don't have yeah. civics classes in, in, you know, in high school anymore or junior high school. Um, kids don't, um, they don't know. And so why did we take out civics, edu civics education in schools? Why? You know, there's, you know, they were trying to save money. I don't know. It's, it's sad. It's sad because you are then um, uneducating or not providing education to our, to our children 
about what will one day or still no not even one day what actually impacts them day to day yeah so it's it's really sad that we we need to bring back civics to schools as well as part of a curriculum yeah between between civics and financial literacy that needs to start in like maybe like third fourth grade like you never you're never too young to really learn about finances and, and things of that nature so it's important like I, i've had you know my kids you know meet you know some elected officials and it's like who are they what do they do and it's like it's kind of really hard to really explain <laughs> what they do if you don't really know yourself too much the right. ins and outs of what they do just like the little bit that you do know of them so it's like just having like some a conversation about that what exactly they do or laws and, and what who does make the laws and things of that nature? Like it is is important to to know and it's important to do research. I know they had a I think a, a council election here in Middletown, and I was trying to look go on a website or something to feel like who's running because nobody like did any ads or anything like locally. So I had no literally no idea who was who was running, and it was like well, well like, I guess. <laughs> next year <laughs> but it, it's things like that like you know it's it's important to know like i'm like i'm navigating my you know, community and and just not only within my school district but the school district i will work at and just figuring out like who who are the players are and what what's the reason why things are, are not happening or are happening or why they happen a certain way and so that's right. And again, that's a lack of education in our schools about local government, how it works. Um, and also wanted, I wanted to, to mention that this past election cycle during the general election, we only had 20% of registered voters mm. vote, 20%. So that is you think I, You think the pandemic had to do with that? No. no what I think that is that pe- people... Didn't people, go out on the vote. I think people are they're disengaged um, for whatever reasons. Maybe because they're trying to figure out, you know. Okay, in New York City, you know that the primaries are pretty much the ones that determine uh, who is elected. Why? Because New York City is a Democratic city, and so most of the Democrats are voted in. Um, so if you vote in a Democrat in June, it's pretty much likely that if even if there is a Republican or independent or third party line opponent, the Democrat's going to win. And so a lot of New York City voters end up, you know, voting in the primary and skipping the general, you know, so that's that's something that, that happens. I, again, I, I, you know, I think that it's, it's a trend, right? It's a trend like in 20, I believe in 2013. Um, De Bla- during when de Blasio got elected, I think there was a 24% or 26, between 24 and 26% uh, of people came out to vote. Um, so again, we have really low, low participation um, and that in itself has to change, you know? And, and again, I really do believe it starts when you're a tiny little one um, learning why it's important to be active in voting and government um and so yeah i mean there could be different different reasons i you know i also think that this pandemic 
um, because of the pandemic, it was easier to get a ballot. You can mm. order a ballot, mail it in, um, and that's your vote. So you don't even have to show up to the polls. Mm. You just mail in your vote. Um, there are laws that have been enacted uh, since I think 2019 that are meant to increase voter participation, right? Um, we have set, we have early voting fads, right? Mm -hmm. so we, for like seven days, you can vote um, at a local community center around the corner from where you live. If you yeah. can't make it on Tuesday, you know, you can mail in your vote. Um, you can register to vote. Like the deadlines have now put been pushed so that, you know, you still, you have a little bit more cushion of time where you can register to vote as a Democrat and then send in your ballot or show up to the polls. So there's really no excuse. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm and I'm really, this is one of the reasons why, you know, we have crappy, excuse my language, crappy legislators, right? Like we need to, we need to hire better people to yeah. elected office. And we, we don't because we sit at home and, and don't care. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's something that I'm, you know, I'm, I, I, I think all of us are kind of like, like, you know, kind of hitting our heads against the wall here. Like, why are people not engaged? And so we have to, we have to do a lot of work. That's a lot of work. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it helps, like you mentioned, more social workers running because yes. more than likely you could, you know, trust a social worker <laughs> to run for office mm -hmm. compared to the same politicians over and over again, just exactly. seeking re-election and it's just, you know, exactly. nothing, nothing's going to change. So unless you like, you know, vote and be more active, like, well, is she running again? All right, I guess I'll vote for her. <laughs> She's been there for like a thousand years and like, People go with name recognition, right? Yeah, and 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 that's again because we we don't do the research. We need to yes. do research. We need to see people's records and their ideas. You know um, what they want to do, how they offer a different perspective mm. from what they're getting. So yes, we need to get our gente to register to vote, to actually vote on the day of, or early, vote early, or vote by mail. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So yeah, we got a lot of work. Now, one last, one last thing regarding like your, I want to talk about you, Ingrid, the person. Oh, thank you. How, how was, uh, besides running, try to run a campaign, how, how was 2020 for you? How has this pandemic been for you, you know, the person you, like the social worker, like, like mm -hmm. how, just tell me what you saw, what, what were you feeling, like what was going on for you? Sure. Um, <clears throat> I sort of sigh <clears throat> and, and swallow, <laughs> swallow because um, it was so hard. It was so hard. So I'm single. Um, I don't have children um, or a spouse. And I remember spending the first three months of this pandemic by myself. You know, my mom is in the Bronx. Um, and my brother was at the time in the Bronx as well with young children. So we were afraid to even, mm -hmm. you know, see each other because I didn't want to get my nephews, you know, sick if I was to carry anything. Thankfully, I did not get sick and, um, the COVID knock on wood, I don't ever. Um, but, um, but it was extremely lonely. Um, it started to affect my mental health. I, you know, I got depressed, um, 
And even though there was the, the campaign, but the campaign was in the back of, on the back burner, as they say, because there was really not much I could do. Um, and so it was hard on a personal level. Um, we then transitioned to doing pretty much 100% virtual, right? Most of us uh, social workers had to. Um, there were some that had to, that had no choice and they had to show up to hospitals and, you know, and also child welfare workers that had to show up to homes. But, um, you know, luckily I was able to work from home um, and the difficulties of that, you know, that that creates because you're, you're home all day by yourself, you know, staring at four walls. And yes, you know, from nine to five, you see your clients, but then after that, you know, you're back on the computer again and on Zoom sometimes. And it was exhausting. It was depressing. Um, and the community was suffering a, a lot as well. So I was very lucky like to do the mutual aid work. And that saved me, you know, saved those me from those really depressing days that, you know, I had because it got me out, you know, with all precautions, of course, right, gloves, of course, masks and everything, you know, just going to the supermarket, buying food for a family and then delivering it. That that actually helped me a lot. You know, it cut down on the isolation. I actually got to see a person, you know, mm. face to face. Um but it took a toll on me emotionally, mentally. And then when things started to open up again in the summer of 2020, um, we had the, the summer where, you know, George Floyd was murdered, right? And, and so that got us activated. You know, we went out to protests and, um, you know, there was a lot that was, um, that was happening that summer. Yes. So, and then I got busy, you know, things started to open up again and get better um, and less isolated, but I got to do my work. I worked and ran a campaign. Don't recommend that. I don't recommend <laughs> that because that's really exhausting um, and, uh, and hard. Um, but, um, but again, I think we're, we're in a better place. We're in a better place now. Um, and our community is, is picking up, um, you know, slowly um, from where we were in March, 2020. Um, that's good. Yeah. Um, well, how was it for you? It's like a, a tale of, of two 2020s, like, mm -hmm. um, you know, it started, started rough. Um, you know, I'm a, huge basketball fan, huge Laker fan, and having the passing of Kobe really uh, hit hard. And then uh, right after that, February, um, you know, late January, February, all the earthquakes that happened in Puerto Rico, you know, mm -hmm. I worried about my extended family over there uh, who were already still haven't fully recuperated from Hurricane Maria. Mm -hmm. um, so I was dealing with that and then March came with the pandemic actually right before the lockdown um, uh, I was finally able to uh, take my mom home my mom was in a nursing home from the summer of 2019 from her breaking her ankle and never fully uh, recuperated so she ended up being like bed bound mm -hmm. and bringing her home not 
on on the social work, it would be an unsafe discharge, but mm-hmm. took her home and you no know, doing that. So I'm doing like casework for like my elderly clients who like doing discharges for like elderly clients, you no know, send them back home or nursing home, stuff like that. So I'm doing that for my own mom and coming home and then pandemic hit. So we locked out. I still had to go to the office a couple of weeks after the initial lockdown because my company that I was working for at the time did not, didn't have the capabilities from working from home. And so they had to like literally pivot and get the computer system in order to get us being able to work from home. I finally was able to work from home. Uh, still doing emergency visits like Medicaid recertifications or housing recertifications. Uh, so I would literally be going out with my mask on, my gloves on, and figuring out a way to see clients without how how can I limit uh, taking two trains and only take one, or how can I limit uh, if a person lives that I got to take a train and bus from my house? How can I just like take one train so I, I would like walk I would walk from the Bronx where I live at High Bridge and walk across the bridge to Washington Heights just to avoid taking the bus and dealing with extra people and just take the train so I did a lot of walking I did a lot of walking <laughs> I've, I've walked from Spanish Harlem like 103rd and 2nd Avenue all the way home to the Bronx just because I didn't want to take the train I didn't want to take the bus a pandemic going on so that that was just me it, it got me exercise because the gym the gym was closed yeah um I, and I got furloughed from my gym job so uh and then like after my mom passed in in May it was like okay like I'm back still working like had clients pass away you know we lost up to like 30 clients at my job that's just from COVID not and a couple other people passed away from health issues so I'm looking at almost like almost 40 clients total like passing away between health issues regular health issues and COVID and then like things really didn't start falling into place until say like July 4th kind of started when some my fiance and kids uh, moved to Delaware first while still working in New York and then um, started I didn't move until October um down here then I literally moved that was Monday night my last day in New York Tuesday started a new job here in Delaware (laughs) work from home um wasn't what I anticipated the job would be so went found another job (laughs) so I started working in the school district earlier this year and then um had some nonsense with the job so I had to find another job and so I spent 2021 summer 2021 uh, looking for a job so it was it was tough uh, mm-hmm. definitely like you know I opened my LLC in 2020 like I got my 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 house I'm currently living in my my offer got approved for for the house and mm-hmm. moved in moved into my house in February 2021 so got a brand new, got a car like two weeks after that <laughs> so uh I started my the podcast in January 2020, so there was a lot of good things that that happened. But it took a while to for things to to happen. Um, and 2021 has been like a whole different 
year whole different experience um, from 2020. So it's still dealing with that. No thing about you know, the clients that passed away. I recently hung out with my uh, my ex uh, supervisor. I don't know why my eye bombed my eye all of a sudden. But uh, recently, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I hung up with my former supervisor and we had to talk about, you know, how it's been like a year later, like we worked together and dealing with all the vicarious trauma, like the loss that we both dealt with, you know, together, working together. And a year later, how things have completely changed and gotten better, like, like basically like a retrospect of how, how's it been? And, and we just had a, had a talk and, and you know, it's something, um, you know, will always you know, be, be with me. It was definitely like the hardest professionally wise in my 20 years, almost 20 years in social work. It just everything that that happened and just made me stronger. Like I, I call this COVID era, the era of shooting a shot. So like whatever popped in my head as an idea, um, I just did it. And it would be like the podcast, uh, you know, writing my book that popped out of nowhere. Like, um, so just things started, you know, learning about how to form an LLC. I did that and uh, learning how to buy stocks and started investing in the stock market last year and, you know, doing like a living will because I didn't know it was COVID was going to take me out. <laughs> so like not having that fi- for those financial orders in place for my kids and in case something uh, did happen and let like my girlfriend know, uh, uh, hey, like this is what's going on. Like I did a will, like want you to be responsible for the kids and like, in case something does happen. Like so having those orders in place, I got engaged like uh, last year. So Christmas Day, oh, I finally proposed. <laughs> so, uh, so it took like September to December was was great. It was just uh, that January to August, you know, sucked. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it sounds like you've had a lot of losses. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of gains and yes, like- the gain too and like the, the COVID <laughs> weight too man it's- <laughs> yeah I know we all gained weight you're not the <laughs> only person but you know, a lot of good things happening and I still love myself so I'm not it's not like I'm not self-hated it's self, <laughs> self-love okay so. <laughs> that's, that's great no and, and again you know thank you for creating this social work brands podcast um I think that's it's brilliant like I've I think it's the only one of its kind, you know, I don't, I don't know of anyone else doing a podcast who's a full soul social work. Oh, maybe there are, maybe there yeah, are. That, that, that's, that, there's actually quite a, quite a few of us. Uh, I think, uh, oh. uh, yeah. So hip hop social worker, there's oh. Trey, uh, everybody relax. Uh, there's the, the joy of social work, Troy Britt, amazing LCSW from the Bronx is, uh, uh, there's quite a few of us. There's a JB. There's a podcast. So uh, there's quite a quite a few of us. I, I I don't know if any other Latinos with a social workers with a podcast, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I joke around. I call myself I call myself the the pitbull 
Oh, social work podcast too. So, uh, like, because because of my my Zumba instructor background too. So. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's incredible, incredible. <laughs> you, you like to Zumba? That's awesome. I need to join one of your classes. Yeah, yeah. No, like, like because of like the BS that happened in my job. Like when I had a, I was hoping that the summer to start doing the classes, but it was just, and then other stuff started happening. So let me just focus on the book. Let the book is done writing and it's just like everything else that the the details that follows and ISBN numbers I gotta still gotta purchase and I'm waiting on some headshot pictures and nice finish the cover and then like get it edited and, and do you have done. a title for the book? Yeah it's uh triumph over pain how to uh, maximize maximize uh full potential even with losses I, I forget like the last part of the title it was definitely a triumph through pain uh you know, basically i know using the uh, loss of my mom as inspiration for writing the book and initially is a chronological everything is pretty much you know chronologically order of where uh wrote something and just even like middle of the night start things started popping in my head like got up <laughs> wrote a couple of lines went back to sleep and things like that so anywhere from you know talk about you know a little bit of police brutality especially you mentioned you no know, George Floyd and that mm-hmm. period of time then losing my mom and having to like the way I had to ID my mom was crazy I wrote about that and then just learning you know once I started learning about stocks and bonds and the importance of uh, investing in the stock market wrote about that you know the importance of that you know becoming a new homeowner and discussing like my wins so just triumph over pain so not only just started with the the pain and finishing with with the triumphs um, victories and sharing you know the knowledge I've gained so far in, in 2020 going into 2021 and sharing that and hoping to inspire others to try to do the same because I was, you know, MSW programs don't teach us how to form LLCs, don't right. teach us about, you know, you want to get get into private practice, okay, how do you do that? So, right. Mm-hmm. Um, the importance of uh, getting additional streams of income, one way is, you know, investing a little bit of money in this in the in the stock market and just things that you buy like mm-hmm. most people got an iphone i finally switched to an iphone recently so i already I invest, invested in it change my iphone 7 which is what i have <laughs> um until it breaks <laughs> but but but, oh, but but you're a customer of iphones so why don't you invest in the stock <laughs> so they this thing like that there you go perfectly th- things you, things you bank with like so people have no business no businesses um you know start building business credit how do you do that well one you got to have you no know, good personal credit and number two like who do you bank with like apply for a business card whoever you bank with you have a mortgage like right or no thing you know things like that that so many things along the, along the way and just, financial literacy how to invest in the market you know how to buy your first house or you know all all of that yeah i learned a lot from a guy that like was always on a zoom call like like learning something and reading a book kind of use the time that i had like especially after like mom passed so I didn't have to like 
be like handing for caring for her and and my fiance was in Queens with, with my kids, so just seeing them on the weekends was just literally me and my dad at home. And like, okay, I got all this isolating myself from him in the bedroom, just not to try to get him sick or whatever. And in front of a laptop or, or listening to DJ D-Nice D on, on Instagram and with playing music up to like three, four o'clock in the morning. So yeah. Oh, yeah. having having insomnia too so i need to make, make the time to do something productive a lot of us had that right we still continue to have it sometimes i can't sleep but yeah it's it's one thing after the other but i'm so happy to hear that you are creating this space one and then writing this book that you know we can read and get inspired from and I, I want to learn more about how you did it all, you know? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, honestly, how I, I just had it in my head and, like, whatever, just do it. Like, I was just finding get finding guests for the podcast and just using LinkedIn, like, to send a message. If people, people responded, great. I had a podcast episode that just DM'd on Instagram, and especially when the, um, the stimulus checks first started happening, like, I was following a financial educator, like, and I DM'd him, like, hey, would you be open to coming to the podcast? Like, I'm, I'm a social worker, like, I want to educate, you know, my, 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 my people on what to do with their stimulus checks, especially since our student loans, we didn't have to pay any interest, should we use right. our, like, our student loans uh, for, like, the principal and start paying that off? Uh, so he came on, I mean, we had a whole episode about that, and so... We still have an opiate pandemic crisis going on, and I had a, somebody in the field of, of addiction come on and, and talk about that, like because people couldn't do twelve-step uh, meetings on Zoom, like you had to be there in person. It was affecting their sobriety, like so. Let's try to think of stuff that people weren't talking about and talking about it. So, uh, you know, addiction addiction is something uh, that's very dear to, to my heart after you know, losing somebody with addiction so uh, I wanted to talk about that okay what let me use the platform the, the podcast to connect with other social workers like yourself and like build build a network and so like we can't meet in person so I'm going to do that let me use the podcast so like started reaching out I and mean, people started reaching out to me just like hey you got a podcast I mean, I got this going on. Can we can come on? So people came started coming on. So and just it's just been growing ever since. And January 15, 2022 be second birthday. Oh no, it's like that saying, if you build it, they will come, right? Yeah, exactly. Because I know I when I found you, it was through um the Latinx in social work um ladies, the yes, uh, the editor and other co-author and when I saw that I said oh I gotta reach out to him <laughs> I gotta tell him all about you know how how important it is social that social workers run for office like that's really for me what um I've, I've thought I've thought about it too so far just to see like a little bit Delaware is and is just things things need to to happen and I wish I had a, like maybe like two minutes of like the governor's time like hey just you know, what are you doing about like mm -hmm. our mental health but he's like you know being a governor you're busy you're just there for photo ops and 
things of that nature. So, you know, but uh, just just to see what, what what's out there and getting to know Delaware more and mm-hmm. and get a sense of what's going on and who knows. <laughs> yeah, Delaware is not New York City, right? <laughs> no, it's no, it's not. It's <laughs> cleaner, you know. Def- yes, definitely. Except for certain parts of, of Wilmington, like actually, a Republican could easily make a a good anti-Biden uh, uh, campaign thirty-second commercial and just show a little bit of, of certain sections of Wilmington like this is, this is hometown this is why you shouldn't be president <laughs> oh my goodness yeah wow. <laughs> I always think I always think like that like so yeah. it's just like you know it's just it's just it is it is what it is it's definitely not New, New York is there's nothing like New York City New York is so who knows what what you think of uh, Mr. Adams coming in in January was. So is this going to be um, recorded? <laughs> I know it's being recorded now. <laughs> can I can I opt not to have this uh, played? Um, you know, um, I I don't know. I don't know um, how Eric Adams will do as our our next mayor. Um, I really hope that he's able to prioritize education, housing, and um, food accessibility. You know, um, those are the three top issues for me, um, given that, you know, not only this neighborhood, but others like it are in dire need of, right? Um, I really hope that our our economy continues to grow. I hope that we have, you know, more jobs, more protections for delivery workers, for taxi workers, you know, for the average Joe and Jane, um, or Jose and Maria, (laughs) you know, um, I I really hope that um, we, we see, we see strong leadership and that the city council is able to, um, you know, push back when they, when they need to, because we have a very um, left-leaning um, younger and more diverse city council. Um, we have now the majority will be women um, and women of color. So mm-hmm. I'm excited that this city council is going to be more representative of New York City. We still have more work to do uh, for for to reach equity, right? But um, I do think that it's going to be an interesting thing to to watch how Eric Adams deals with a city council that's really left or left-leaning, and how much work they can get done together. Um, so if my community sees more housing and safer streets and cleaner streets, then I think that's a, a metric for me that he'd be doing a good job. So let's leave it there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, absolutely. And how, and how he's going to interact with whoever the governor is going to be because right. you know, the Blasio and Cuomo didn't have a good relationship at, at all. Um, uh, and out of respect for you as my guest, I'm not going to say what, what I really want to say in my head, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it was just not a good relationship at all. And I hope whoever the governor is, is going to be in 2022 that they have some understanding of a good relationship, what New York City needs. Obviously, you know, uh, there's other... Uh, cities in the state that you know the state as a whole needs you know resources and, and stuff in place as well but for new york being uh, such a 
everybody in the whole world knows New York. So, yeah. um, you know, New York doesn't make, make the world go, go around. So, um, and, you know, 9-11 you know, proved that. So, um, so get a, a budget, you know, um, hoping the state can uh, get these funds that uh, President Biden you know, pushed out and actually get use that money for education, for actual affordable housing, um, like real legit affordable housing that average Joe can can afford without paying over fifty percent of their income and and rent and, and stuff like that. So and food and get some schools and get some hospitals in place. Like things everybody needs an actual like um, you know good food that so we can live longer in society, not regular junk food or. or other food that affects our health, even though make our cultural foods that we eat and make it more, you know, that it'd be healthier to eat, uh, whether it be veganized food or things and just have more healthy food options in, in our local supermarkets that's affordable, that, you know, no, yeah, things of that nature. And that's another problem, right? I'm sorry to cut you off there, but I just want to say really quickly that the prices of food are is going up. The price of food is going up. Inflation is is out of control. Um, this is a problem, a serious problem, because I live in a poor community, working class community, and to buy, for example, um, just. I buy blackberries, right? Blueberry, um, blackberries or raspberries. And for one little box of blackberries, it cost me $5.99. I was going to say $5.99. It was $3.99 last year, you know, and now it's $5.99. And I think it's ridiculous. You know, milk, eggs. I mean, yeah. you know, eggs tend to be cheaper, but it's just the basic necessities that are getting so expensive. And so yeah. that's why more and more people are using food pantries as well, because mm -hmm. that's the resort they have. Right. So I just want to say that, you know, on a federal level, our president needs to do something about inflation, um, our Congress, our Senate, because it's really out of control. And I worry, I worry that this will continue and that more people will be affected and right. more, more money needs to go into you know, the, you know, the food stands people should be getting getting more money so off, off, mm -hmm. offset you know, the cost of, of food uh, mm -hmm. our, our, Medi our Medicaid needs to increase to like the, the levels that they were before because you all the government always cutting Medicare and Medicaid first and like but people need to pay their medical bills people need our outpatient mental health clinics use Medicaid dollars to pay staff and to like bill clients for, for services. So when they, so if you need mental health services, you need these Medicaid and Medicare dollars in order to fund the, these outpatient pr programs and stuff like that. So it's by cutting it, you're just making the, the things worse for, for our people and, and it trickles down all the way to the local level. Yeah. No, it's true. Um, and again, like there's a lot of work to be done. I hope 2022, we see lower grocery prices, you know, lower gas prices. We, we, have, we have a lot of, of crazy costs just to live, just to live, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then the fact that we have to work nine to five, nine to six, nine to seven, nine to eight, 
you know, five days a week. We need to change that. I want us to work. Or work, or work two jobs, two, three jobs. Or work two, three jobs. Yeah. You know, we, we, we also can, can push for four day a week jobs. Okay. We can push for 30 to 35 hour a week jobs. We need a lot more, a lot more um, balance. We don't have enough balance work and work in life work. Mm -hmm. Work-life balance, yeah. There you go. There you go. Work-life balance. We need that, right? Because like, oh, yeah, just going home at seven, six, seven o'clock. You know, staying awake for three hours or so, having dinner, watching Netflix, and then you go back to sleep, and then you do it again the next day. That's not living. That's not a life. You know, we 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 um we don't have to. I don't think we should wait till we're sixty-five to retire. You know, like when you're sick, possibly. And you're older, like, you know, you're limited to what you can do. So we need to think about ways that we, we have a better work-life balance um, so that we're not slaving away for the rest of our, our good years, right? Like, yeah, exactly. It's, it's really critical that even, at, again, at the government level, like we enact 40, 40 work week, 30 or 35 hour work week that is something we can push for that is something that we can tell our legislators listen you know in washington do something about this you know now that the pandemic has really it's changed the world it's really changed the way we work it's changed the way we interact with work there's a great resignation so to speak for those that can afford to resign not yeah absolutely most of us don't not can't afford that but you know not yet not yet not yet right <laughs> you know that's why i gotta learn i'm working on it <laughs> yes um but you know th those things are, are are all policies that can be enacted mm -hmm. you know and and social security is running out so by the time you and I are 65, there, there's going to be no money. <laughs> there's not so going to be any money. Up. I heard by like 20, but 2033 or something like that. So it's not that long. No, it's not that, not that long. And, and you know, we're, we're not, we're going to have to depend on our own savings, on our own investments, on our mm -hmm. own 401k. So, you know, I, I think, again, this is where politics is, you know, everything. It's but, everything. But, but so, even yeah. even on like my, my one of my recent episodes of the podcast, I like discuss how they're they're raising the uh, the cost of living. So everybody's getting a five point nine percent social security. Isn't that gonna make the run, money run out even faster? <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> that's really yeah, I don't understand that. Yeah, and it's like the highest in, in like 30 years that they're they're raising the cost of living. Like it's uh in 30 years is 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 good in a way, but at the same time, like the, the yeah. Medicare premiums are, are gonna increase from for a lot of people. So are people really gonna see that increase? So, so exactly. it's yeah stuff the government does is just doesn't make any sense. Agreed. <laughs> That's why we need better legislators that work. I, I learned I learned how to help with with Social Security in grad school. Like I just I got to find that paperwork and send it to to Washington. Like here, pick one of these. <laughs> like this is what I learned in school and exactly. make it work. <laughs> That's why we need social workers in in politics. A hundred percent. A hundred percent Ingrid, thank you so much yeah. for a wonderful conversation. Thank you. thank you so much. I know we we had like a two hour conversation, which went really quickly. Um, are you going to edit it, or you're going to kind of put the whole thing? That's a good question. I might just do the whole thing, or maybe chop it up and do a 
part one, part two. I haven't oh, thought about that. <laughs> I know. I was just wondering. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, so around when is the is the podcast going?